So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Hello. We've done some talks this week. Yeah, we were at uh, DNAD Festival. I, can I just pu- publicly apologise to you now for the first five minutes of that experience? It was completely fine. Like, it was really bad. We, we'd kind of like pre-planned uh, who was going to say what, and David just in the nerves of it just ran with I everything was, I was nervous and I just wouldn't shut up and I turned to you and I could just see you going like what what are you doing yeah I was just what like what are you doing I'm glad you did manage to finish it though because I was hoping that you weren't going to go to me and like now here's your bit and I was like you've just said everything that I'm planning to say but um it was fine I think it went really well yeah it went really well after after those initial nerves and I stopped like rabbiting on then uh we kind of got into it and um and it was good. I was really surprised with when we did a show of hands at the beginning, um, how few people put their hands up for having a side project or, or yeah. doing their own thing. I suppose we're in a world where everyone's got a side project or everyone's doing something that they like and everyone we talk to and people who DM us like on Instagram. Yeah, we're surrounding ourselves by you, the listeners, and you are all creative people that are doing fun stuff. But I guess just the most of the world is not. And yeah. that, it was kind of like a weird eye opening, especially yeah, realization at DNAD in front of a room of potentially really creative people. No one was doing it for themselves inside. But I think we talk about that in this episode. How if you're you don't have to have a side project if you're happy in what you're doing full time. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, happiness is the name of the game. And yeah, there are so many cool companies that that you can work for. Because um, I guess all of the people that are setting up these creative businesses, they're going to make them fun places to work at. Yeah. So, well, that's like what we've done here. Like we've designed a business to be what we want it to be. We've employed the people who we want to be and create a little family around us that we want to be around. Yeah, it's so inspiring to see all of the the like mad cool stuff that you guys are doing. So um, that's what inspires us to keep going. Yeah, we really love it when we see everyone like snapshot their iTunes or their Spotify and just like tags it on Instagram. It really lets us know that you guys are listening to it over time, which is like super cool. Yeah, thank you. That that keeps us going. Uh, yeah, and also keep your DMs coming in. To at Rebels Create. Yes, thank you, Adam. Um, we will always try and help anyone who's got any questions about their creative practice. And I think that this week we got potentially like the hardest question that we've ever got i really i really didn't know what to say to him it was a really tough one yeah we met this guy and he was basically saying like he's got a business he's been running it for a while but it's not doing too well and he's kind of deciding whether or not he should quit yeah which is an impossible question to answer really like how i like i cannot tell you whether whether that's the right decision or Absolutely. not, like that's something you have to you have to figure out for yourself. Yeah, it's definitely a case by case basis as well. Like we can't tell from the outset the finances and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and when you look at the statistics as well, like there's a I don't know how accurate they are, but there's a lot of figures out there that say sort of like most businesses fail within the first five years, etc., etc., etc. It's it's certainly not 
easy to do to do your own thing but i think that i think there's a lot of people who do quit too early mm-hmm. um, and i think there's definitely something to be said for grit and determination and, yeah. and pushing through that perseverance is key i think that's what eventually is going to decide whether you're going to be a business that lasts for a really long time or not because a business it's not easy it's not easy to start it's going to be a struggle it's going to be it's a roller coaster it has its ups and downs and the downs can sometimes be really really low if you can push through them when you're at your worst it will just kind of make you better for the long run yeah and and i i think people don't really talk about those struggles we got asked a question at dnad in the in the q a session and we kind of spoke about when we first set up graffiti life and we were talking about you nearly getting kicked out of your house by your girlfriend because you hadn't paid rent for six months. I mean, I remember you coming to me and saying like, look, I haven't paid her rent for six months and I don't know that I can do this anymore. And like, I was literally like begging you, like, look, just just a little bit longer. I know we're going to make this work. And if you'd quit, then the business wouldn't have succeeded because we all needed you, me and Yana to all come together to form it. So if one of us had, because I had my wobbles, my uh, mum had ordered um, uh, teacher training stuff <laughs> to come, like, and it like it came to my house because I moved back in with my mum. All my teacher training stuff came and I was like, yeah, it's not going to work. I'm just going to go and be a teacher. And you two talked me down. Yeah. Um, and I guess Yana was the only one who didn't have any wobbles. She was 100% of the time. She was like, this will work. Yeah. I know I know this will work. Yeah, I suppose because she'd pre-come from more of a business background, having that kind of experience in the industries already, like she could tell the potential in it because of where she'd worked before and what opportunities our business provided. Yeah, she had uh, a much kind of better long-term vision for it, I guess, than we did. And you did stick through it and things did get better and but it was it was such a gradual thing like you were managing to pay your rent by that point but then like it was another sort of three years before we were even like taking a a proper wage yeah absolutely and then having to like basically spending like the first three or four years of the company living in my overdraft because because when we started I was fresh out of uni so I absolutely rinsed that student overdraft because I thought it was great free money (laughs) and as soon as you come out the other end and they're like oh by the way um this £3,000 you're in now, we're going to cut that to £2,500 in the next few months. So you're like, shit, well, that's money I've got to pay back straight away. And then they like slowly draw it back over the years. So what seems like a great idea at the time isn't. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tricky one. But how grateful are we now that we did push through those hard times? Oh, absolutely. Like me and my girlfriend talk about it all the time. It's like just going that little bit further than anyone else is prepared to go there's generally massive rewards there. Yeah. It's crazy the amount of times that if you just walk a little bit further or go or put, persevere a little bit further than anyone else is willing to, that's almost like the threshold for something special. As soon as you can pass that, it's it's crazy. Like it can't be a coincidence the amount of times it has happened. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I always say the people who keep going are the people who win. And I, I truly believe it. Like you have to be good. You can't be delusional and think that because I, I definitely have seen that of, of just blind determination and not self-aware enough to realise mm. that the product that they're producing is not is not of a good quality. Yeah. For those people who are actually producing amazing work, if they keep going, if they keep pushing, like, you can do it. Like, I'm literally talking yeah. into your ears right now. Like, you can do this. You've just got to push through. Yeah, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, the, the I think the people that, keep going are the people that win. However, having said all of that, if something's not 
making you happy or if you're working with people who are going in a different direction to you, then maybe it's time to uh, readjust. And that brings us on to this week's guest. Carly Ayres. Thanks, Ad. We're so professional <laughs> at radio. Um, yeah, Carly Ayres is a writer, creative director and co-founder of Horaf, which is a New York-based design studio that created work for brands like Google, Hasbro, Facebook and BuzzFeed. Carly's very good at getting attention online, which is how we discovered her work a while back. Um, and we, we put her on the list of people that we'd really like to interview. And when we knew we were taking the show to New York, we looked her up again and we saw that her and her partners were very publicly closing down their studio. So this was like such an interesting time to grab Carly and talk about her journey, becoming a freelancer, setting up her own business and then shutting it all down, even with a multi-million dollar deal on the table. This episode, we talk about starting your own company, believing in yourself, and assuming other people have got it figured out. Starting out, I had this idea of this bar that was like so high. And I was like, oh, the bar is so high. Like, how do I get to that bar? I thought the bar was here, the bar's on the floor, and like, we're somewhere in between. Like, we're doing fine. Hi, Carly Az. Hello. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. What was your favorite childhood cartoon? Ooh, favorite childhood cartoon. That's a hard one. Mm, I, know. I don't know. So many. See, I was Thundercats, Ninja Turtles, and Masters of the Universe, and it's hard for me to pick a favorite. I wasn't as much into cartoons. I was really obsessed with The Twilight Zone growing mm-hmm. up. I used to watch a lot of Twilight Zone episodes. Mysterious. I may have seen every single one. And now they're revamping yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's back now, isn't it? I haven't seen the new ones yet. No, I've not seen it. Oh, I've I hate I hate reruns. Like remakes. I won't watch yeah. that Sabrina on Netflix. <laughs> oh, see, I, I kind of want to watch it just in like a trashy way. Like it, it's I, not going to be it's not going to be transforming anything. It's just like a bit of background so easy watching. I watched Riverdale and it was fucking amazing, so oh, I have no doubt that Sabrina is yeah. uh, probably up there too. Also, oh, I like her from Mad Men as well. Like, she was great in that. Well, maybe I'll give it a go then. <laughs> <laughs> Carly, you were the second employee at Creative Mornings. I was. How did that come about? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I studied industrial design uh, in college, and it was right up coming up on my junior year internship or like the summer you do it, mm-hmm. uh, summer after my junior year. Uh, and I knew I needed to have like a really good internship. And I had applied at Procter and Gamble and gone through this like multi-phased interview process where I had to send uh, actually a sample of my hair. I had to go to a government center so they could test it for drugs. Uh, and at a certain point along that process, I realized I didn't think I really wanted to do that internship. And simultaneously, I was a little bit of a internet kid and I had been following this woman, Tina Roth Eisenberg on Twitter. And I was like, maybe, maybe there's something here. Maybe she has something. And so I sent her a cold email and it turned out the day before she had articulated to Kevin, who was the first employee at Creative Mornings, that she thought they were ready for an intern. And so she felt it was kismet. We got on a video call Mm -hmm. and the rest is history. Wow. Any uh, tips for cold emailing? So I don't know if this would work as well today. It felt novel then. I wrote a very long poem. 
<laughs> no way. It's, a, it's, a, it's funny to look back on. But after my internship, so I, I had a, a video call with her and she offered me the internship on the spot. And I interned there that summer and then following uh, graduation, I applied to work there full time. And I had written this long poem that was based on every single chapter. And at the time when I joined, there was... I think like seven or eight chapters mm. and probably a year later there's likely twice that and uh, every line of the poem was color coordinated to the respective creative mornings chapter which if you're not familiar creative mornings is like a lecture series for creative communities around the world and now I think they're in like 200 cities but every line of the poem corresponded to a different city where we had a chapter and it was color coded but recently we were hiring for the studio before we shut down we were hiring a an art director, and I think we received like three different poems. So I think poems are kind of like Way in. they've blown up. They've blown up. They're everywhere yeah. now. Yeah. Are, you think, are you thinking about a sequel to yours? <laughs> a sequel to the poem? Yeah. Now follow there's more up. chapters. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I could mm, follow up poem. Now I'd say the the key is keep it short and sweet, but you definitely want to stand out because there's so many emails. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we put out a, a job listing recently, and we got over 200 applications in about three days before we like just mute it, like had to turn the ad off. And going through those, it, it quickly became clear that some people know, really know how to stand out via email. Yeah. And I think the the best application we got was actually someone who did a video application. You did have a video yeah. application yeah. too. And it was, it was great. It was, it was a good video as well. But I think I was out and you texted me being like, Check, check this video. Yeah. And I was walking along, like, just the street, and it was really loud music to it as well. I was just like... And then stopped, and I was like, say to a friend, watch this. It's amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, she got an interview. Yeah. Did you hire him? <laughs> um, we offered her a job. She'd been offered something else somewhere really big. I can't... I like Google or somewhere like that. And she was like... It's hard to compete with that. Yeah, she was yeah. like, I really, really want to work with you guys, <laughs> but Google. <laughs> we like, yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. be here. Yeah. Fair enough. But yeah, the videos stand out. I mean, now when I talk to students, I just remember that process of getting like a hundred emails in response to that one job yeah. listing and just like opening these websites one after the next. And pretty soon, like if I can't find your resume, if I can't yeah. figure out if you can do the work that I need you to do within like the first minute, 30 seconds, if that, if then not. I'm gone. Um, we had some people build us websites like for their, as their job application. And that, that stood out. Someone sent us cookies. Did that stand out? That also stood out. I don't think any of them got the job, though. It's a scary thing, I guess. Um, and I think there's too much online of, of just a template to follow. And I definitely remember there was one application that we got that it said, I think I'd be perfect for the position at Graffiti Life because they like, <laughs> yeah, copied like the and pasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you've copied and pasted. Control shift V, everyone. Yeah. I know, right? Pro tip. Yeah, yeah, just just clear formatting. Just, <laughs> yeah, just edit yourself and just like read through. And what you said about clearly presenting the information is like Quick absolutely key. Yeah. yeah, make my life as easy as possible, and then I will like you, and then I want to give you yeah. a job. I think if you've got to remember that person, your friends, they're seeing hundreds of emails, so make that make it fun for Gosh. them. Yeah, make that monotonous task at least a little bit yeah. fun I remember when I was in school sending those emails out and I remember being like how can they not respond like how many emails can these people truly be mm, getting yeah. that they can't respond to my clearly very heartfelt sincere email and after being on the other side of that I'm like oh, 
they're getting a fuck ton of emails. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. You can't even respond to them. It's probably why your poems stood out because it, like <laughs> it was like a little bit of joy <laughs> to someone's <laughs> life. Yeah, no, and gifts. Gifts are helpful. Yeah, anything to to break up the monotony of just like clicking through one email <laughs> yeah. after the next. Dear Sir Madame, I would like a job at your agency. I like your work. In sending the poem, they, because you followed her on social, you kind yeah. of knew that you weren't just oh, firing out a poem to random people. No, it's no, like, no. I know this specific is probably going to work for this person. Yeah. And I think that's important is gauging oh, yeah. your audience. Yeah. And I think Tina writes a lot on her blog and very much online about like leading like full heart and just like really throwing yourself into things. And whereas if someone sent me a very long poem applying to work for me, I don't know that it would have the same effect as as it would for Tina. And writing's definitely been important to you. Yeah, I mean, since school, I always found that I spent more time talking, which uh, at the end of this podcast might be evident, <laughs> than I did designing or doing any of the other things I was, uh, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. Uh, and especially writing. I spent a lot of time, uh, even in my department, I like started an industrial design blog where I and a small team of intrepid students would interview other students and faculty members and alumni and post the stories online. And that led to writing for Course 77 and various other design publications online which I still do today. Yeah, writing has always been an important way for me to figure out, tell stories or figure out what I want to do, mm. work through problems. Yeah, I've, I've been finding that. So I've just started blogging and- it, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. And it allows me to actually work out my thoughts, I guess is the best way to put it. Like I can actually, I, I have an idea that's, that's kind of rough, but then through spending a couple of hours with it, I can fine tune it and, and chip it down and realize what I'm trying to say. And so much of it's like, yeah, getting something on paper, coming back to it, or I guess like digital processor now. Mm. Um, revisiting, having a really good editor. Yeah, which I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Try and edit myself. But. Can't edit yourself. Yeah, and it's, it's led to a lot of different things. I mean, I think with Creative Mornings as like my first job out of school, it was really important to... One, write a good email, communicating with all the different chapter organizers mm. and uh, publishing things online. And that led to doing some work in brand studios and ended up doing a lot more like brand voice and tone work and strategy work, uh, which eventually brought me to Google's Creative Lab, where I did a lot of that at the intersection of like making technology more accessible and like making things inviting and friendly and fun and explaining how things work. And then I did some chatbot personalities, so... Kind of yeah. bounce between the two. Your career seems to me like you've re you really have mashed those two worlds together of communication, I guess, being at the at the core of it all. Which I guess we'll get into a little bit later because at Creative Mornings, like mm -hmm. I like I really recommend those for people listening to go along to because I mean you're going to be meeting a bunch of creative people, um, and so working there it's kind of like a almost like a hack because you've got you've just got access to guests and speakers and and everyone in the crowd and like it's, it must have been great for you kind of networking I always say that job I mean everything kind of points back to that first job uh, especially being based out of studio mates co-working space and working alongside people like Frank Camaro and Carrie Campbell and Meg Lewis like all these designers who 
had several years more experience kind of working through project problems with freelancing and clients and talking about them over lunch. Uh, all that stuff kind of just like seeped in. And so when I eventually made the jump to full-time freelancer, I had both them as real living resources as well as those experiences and conversations to inform the work I did after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I met so many people through that. And I'm a big believer that everything you do is based on relationships, the people you meet, who can introduce you to who, uh, talking about like job applications. Like, yeah, no one, like if you're a cold email, I mean, at least be like a lukewarm email. You want to be like a kind of, kind of warm email. If someone can advocate for you and get your resume to the top of the pile, you're like one step closer to being seen. Um, but I mean, yeah, everything is relationships. If you don't have those connections, if you've got no one who can kind of put you in those. I find, I always tell students to do informational interviews, like send those cold emails. I mean, so many people are more accessible than ever before. Mm -hmm. You can follow them on Instagram. You can send them Instagram DMs, comment on their images. I mean, if people are putting stuff out in the world, obviously there's a fine line between being incredibly creepy and being someone who's just like passionate and enthusiastic. Uh, and students get like a little bit of gray area, especially like recent guys are like, okay, like they're just super pumped and they're really excited about this work. But yeah, sending like those messages, finding ways to like meet people, go to creative mornings events. You, you do have to wake up a little early since they tend to happen at 8.30. But I mean, there's AIJ, there's so many... I mean, speaking as someone who lives in New York City, though, there's so many ways to like meet people in this city. But I do find like I meet so many people from the Internet. I met you two from the Internet. Yeah, I actually this morning went out and did like a sunrise photo shoot with someone who I've been friends with on Instagram for two years. Yeah. And just was on my stories yesterday and I was like, oh, shit, they're in New York. Do you want to do something? And she's like, well, actually, I was thinking about going and doing a sunrise photo shoot. Fancy doing that? I was like, yes. So, yeah, yeah the Internet's a great place for finding people. I've made a lot of friends through the internet. Yeah. You you get coffee with them in a public place. It's vetted out. Yeah, be safe. Be safe. Be safe out there. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I met so many people when I first moved to New York just from Twitter, which is now a fucking wasteland. But uh, there's still some good, uh, sincere, genuine things that happen there. But yeah, reaching. There's so many ways to get in touch with people. And I think informational interviews, though, are so underhyped. It's like there doesn't have to be a job listing because more often than not, the job you get is not listed anywhere. Mm. What, what do you mean by interviews? You like reach out to someone at a company you're interested in and you ask if you could just have an informational interview, hear more about the work they do, uh, okay. hear more about what the organization is about. That's not a tactic I've heard of no. really before. No. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Maybe it's a US thing. But uh, same with like, I feel like editorial writing opened a lot of doors for me in that regard too. Like, writing for the RISD industrial design blog. I'd interview designers that I had put on pedestals, people who I really looked up to and admired. I'd be like, Mm. can I just do a quick like 30 minute interview? I mean, I would get rejected all the time, but every now and then I'd get to talk to like Scott Wilson of Minimal or so-and-so. And and, and that that would always open doors too. Cause then a few years later you might see them and catch back up or especially when you're reaching out to people not wanting something first. That's always better than eventually when you're just hitting them up for a job. A hundred percent. I think that's something like we talk about a lot 
is because um, a lot of people have like been pitching themselves as, yeah. as guests to be on the podcast sure. and it's straight away it's just in with their demands and there's never any talk of like even just saying I really enjoyed the podcast would yeah, be a great yeah. start but it's not oh. it's just like I should be on your podcast because I've done this this and this and it's like wow so unappealing yeah. well and I think it's it's something about like approaching something from a place of curiosity like an informational interview getting coffee with someone I don't know following someone online like a lot of the times you can come from a place where you're just eager to learn and who knows if that job would even be the right fit for you or yeah. who knows if this person has anything that is I mean they likely have something that's relevant that will help you further along in your career but you don't know until you talk to them um, so how could you know and I think don't expect instant results as well yeah so with the the interacting online it's like don't expect to leave three comments and then your your best buds it's like, it's like that's a or six don't even months. expect them to know who you are yeah. i mean mm, yeah yeah I, I definitely go to events people are like we follow each other on instagram and i'm like i don't know i follow like thousands of people yeah because yeah. um, i'm an asshole but yeah <laughs> I, I whenever i even when i meet people that i've met previously i'm always like carly Ayers, i used to run a design studio i met you at such and such place da, 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 da. like i like go through the list just to make it as easy as possible but that's yeah. another sidebar i do that and you just have that they have that blank look and you're like surely one of these things must get through like, <laughs> and then we met and spent like a whole evening in london in like 2017 house, yeah. and they're just like cooked you dinner <laughs> who, who, no, are you? who are you yeah, it sucks being forgettable, sure. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> That's real, though. How did the... Uh, so that you moved on to, to working at Google. Incredible. Um, how, did the, <laughs> how did that come about? Google came about uh, actually via a site called Working Not Working. So after... I worked at Creative Mornings. I took a job as the first employee at like a small brand studio. And the founders and I, we didn't totally hit it off. We did a three-month check-in. We're like, ah, this is not totally working out. Mm. Six months later, we're like, absolutely not. Like, I got to get out of here. Uh, and the feeling was mutual. And uh, we're all friends today. But all of a sudden, I was a freelancer. <laughs> a little bit unexpectedly. <laughs> um, and I was doing work for... Various like studios and agencies, a lot of like writing and brand voice and tone. And I was using a site, Working Not Working, to help find a lot of those freelance opportunities. And Creative Lab actually reached out to me through that platform. And it started with like a three-month contract and then was six months. And then a year went by and that's where I met my partners, where we started the studio. And my boyfriend. Amazing. Hey. So uh, Working Not Working, if I recall this correctly, they... If you're a freelancer, you're allowed to join for free, right? Correct. But I th there is like an application process. Yeah, I think, I think you, you have, have like to have a your... board of people who like approve applicants. It's supposed to be. Yeah, they vet your portfolio. Yeah. So it's only like good quality applicants that, that make Some it through. Some sort of so. exclusivity. Yeah, I th which, is, which is great. And then I think clients pay to use it so yeah. that they can find good freelancers so that when they put a job application up, they're not yeah. sifting through 5,000 crap ones. They know they're going to get 200 good ones. Totally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. There's so many platforms for that now too, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a growth industry. Or Yeah. So this is a lot more freelancers. Like it's one of those things. I mean, talk about relationships. I feel like it's so hard to do freelance right out of school without like an existing client base or kind mm. of like that relationship pool to like hit up. But I guess sites like Working Not Working and all the other ones that exist now make that a little bit easier. But with that comes, you have less of those safety net of your relationships, like backing you up in your community. 
this is a little bit of a tangent, but if you start a job and maybe you get ghosted or you don't hear back, that's a lot more frequent on those platforms than say Mm. if you're working with friends or friends of friends. Yeah, definitely. How was your Google experience? I got to work with some really talented people there. (laughs) (laughs) I met some of the smartest people working at Google and it's still one of those jobs where, I mean, just having it, having done that, having worked in the creative lab, I think opens a lot of doors for you afterwards. Um, as far as the culture, the work environment, probably not a place I saw myself long-term, uh, as evidenced by the fact that I'm not still there, but, um, I don't know. I remember we worked on a project where we were turning like physical objects into instruments and they brought in the dude who wrote the language to do that. Um, and he was like, just as like a freelancer contractor and you got to like work with, uh, this incredibly smart person who had wrote this programming language to like make this experiment that ultimately probably never saw the light of day, but you got to work on some cool stuff. What was the coolest thing you liked on? What was the coolest thing I worked on? Well, I mean, I was very fortunate. I joined, uh, about six months before they launched the rebrand. So I got to see, I got to miss like the, the two years of turmoil leading up to that <laughs> and kind of got to like uh, slide right up, see like the six months of turmoil before something like that launches. But it was really interesting to work on a project of that scale. I don't know that I have had the opportunity or will have the opportunity to do anything like that after that. Something that so many people interact with, like coming up with like the messaging strategy for like, what's it tell you on Android if you've logged in the last six months? What's it tell you on Android if you haven't? What's it tell you on an iPhone? What's it tell you online? What's it tell you on the homepage? Like all the different ways that it can communicate to you that, because you got to be able to find the G. The G's changed. If you can't find it, yeah, that's less people using the G. That was interesting working on some of the social launch around that. Did an AI experiment where you could, there was a week where I had, I was told to think of Google times blank equals what? And I had to think of like Google and uh, I was paired up with uh, Phil Searzega, who was another freelancer there at the time, to think about like what sort of like archive of knowledge or cultural institution could Google work with and like make something cool. So there's projects like that. And then there's a lot of like, so there's a lot of like self-initiated things that you can work on while you're there. And then uh, the other stuff is like stuff that's come down the pipeline through like other parts of Google where they need like some marketing brains and design brains to think about how to explain something in a new way. Like when AI is super scary, how to make it more accessible and friendly. Mm -hmm. And once it seems dumb, maybe how to make it seem (laughs) uh, a little smarter and uh, sophisticated. Uh, So various challenges like that. Biggest takeaway was three lovely humans. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely it. It was like, I mean, like anything, it's the relationships. But uh, Andrew, Nikki, and Pedro, we all met working together in the creative lab. How did just, I guess, chats in the pub evolve <laughs> into starting your own agency? Well, I think we all, and Nikki aside, Nikki uh, kind of came along for the ride. He had more of an engineering background. He was the developer on the team. Uh, and he definitely... Uh, will say in any other interview that he never had aspirations uh, to start a design studio. That was not on his bucket <laughs> list uh, when graduating from school. Uh, but I think for Pedro, Pedro, Andrew, and I, that was definitely something that we had all thought about. And we'd all had those conversations with other people, and it had never really felt like the right fit. Like, I don't know. I think when you know you want to start something and you have that... Uh, inkling inside yourself. You start having those conversations. And I'd meet with someone, they'd be like, we should start a studio. And I'd be like, I don't know, like we're both writers. And I think with like the three of us and then with Nikki, it was um, 
we all had very different skills that we were bringing to the table. Uh, I had the relationships from working at Creative Mornings and from a bit of freelancing and studio mates, uh, as well as like writing, kind of more of like an external talking skill set, communications, if you will. Uh, and Nikki and Pedro had worked to, or Pedro and Andrew had worked together at Sagmeister and Walsh previously, and they were both designers, but had different d approaches to design. And then Nikki was a developer, which is incredibly helpful when you're building websites. Mm. Yeah. I mean, our business is, is the three of us, me, Adam and Yona, and we work perfectly together because our, our strengths are, are each weaknesses. other's weaknesses. Yeah. And um, yeah, when you find those, that magical combination, I think it's, it's uh, yeah, it's important to double down, but that must've been kind of a scary leap. It is. Um, I think each time it gets a little less scary though. I feel like at, leaving Creative Mornings was terrifying. Leaving school was terrifying. Leaving that small brand studio, knowing that that was not the right fit and leaping into the unknown of freelancing was absolutely terrifying. And at least in starting a studio, we had each other, which I think makes a big difference. Mm. I think going at it on your own, I don't know that I would go at it alone after having started with like a team. I think four people is a lot of people um, to start a studio with from the get-go. But if I was to do it again, I don't know that I'd want to do it alone because there were so many moments where it was just so comforting to like peer over the monitor and be like, so <laughs> you get that email, like, what do you think about that? Or like, fuck, there's no money in the bank account. Like, how are you feeling today? Or like those conversations and the ability to bounce ideas off of each other and have that support system was everything mm. yeah I've always thought that like because when we started if you've got multiple people that's more money you need to earn to start with yeah so like in the early days when we like didn't take a wage for like a year or whatever it was like well hopefully if we keep pushing through we're building something stronger at the end of it if you've got the one wage and you're comfortable then you're not striving to push to support a network of people and they've yep. got like a team of 15 so it's kind of grown quite a lot congratulations you started your company with a list Oh yeah, we started with a list. Yeah, so pub conversations, hanging out at Google's Creative Lab. Yeah, well, not during work time, I hope. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not during work time because that would be some, uh, yeah, some some legalese there. But yeah, starting those conversations, we went. We used to go to this. Uh, it's actually a Korean restaurant here in Williamsburg that I don't think exists anymore called Mrs. Kim's or Ms. Kim's. And we would go and get dinner once a week and we would talk about like what we wanted to do. We knew that there were going to be, we knew it was like a huge unknown and we knew it was going to be scary and hard. We knew that there were going to be like points where we like wanted to murder each other. <laughs> um, so, and not knowing what exactly would lead to uh, those situations, we tried to just create uh, some sort of amorphous, uh, malleable structure around what this would be. Uh, and the best thing, the best way we knew how to do that was starting with the list and kind of writing down all the things we believed in, the things that no matter what we wanted to stay true to, which I think is a good exercise for anyone at yeah. any point in their life to just make that list. And I don't think many people do do it. I think with most businesses, they focus on the idea. Yeah. Um, whereas you very clearly were thinking very much about relationships. 
Very much so. And I mean, so it was like ideas, things we wanted to try out. I mean, on that list was like, always be honest. Nothing is precious, like except each other and relationships, but like the work is not precious. And Never do something because it's been oh, yeah, done before is one of my favorites. When they zig, we roll on the floor, which was like this idea that we don't even zag. It's like, just <laughs> do something totally different. Just like, I don't know, run in the opposite direction of whatever it is that is even opposite of what you're supposed what is expected in that situation we had one about you know we had we thought a lot about like when we would make compromises like like what was it it was like make good money or good work um, Mm -hmm. was one of them and and every year which I mean we had like two and a half years but so twice we checked in on that list and we reevaluated it and we made sure that we were growing and evolving in all the ways that we wanted to But I think having that as like a North Star was super, super crucial for those conversations that you couldn't anticipate or those moments when you did have to make a decision around good work or good money. And all of a sudden you realized neither were on the table. So, so, uh, we got the list. We said we wouldn't do this. Uh, uh, Yeah, but it, it provided, it was like this like super pure like values exercise that once you, everything gets a little confusing and muddy when you're actually doing the thing you could point back to. Did you have a backup plan? No. I mean, backup plan was like, we could go back to Google. We could all freelance. We all knew that we had reached, even having embarked on starting a studio or even starting out, even in that first year, it was like, we've learned more doing that. That makes us more employable after this, no matter what. Mm. Um, and leaving Google too. I mean, we're super fortunate that Google tends to pay pretty well. So uh, we had like, an, we had made sure that each of us had saved a bit of money so that we were able to at least run for like six months without totally floundering and failing about and having that be a huge concern. Yeah, that buffer is that really buffer. important. Yeah, especially, I mean, for anyone who's thinking about freelancing, I mean, anytime you're making like a big change and you, you're not totally sure where your income's going to come from, I think. Yeah, make sure you have some money in the bank. It's a good pro tip. Take the leap sensibly. Don't just throw yourself <laughs> Yeah, don't it. just like, Yeah, I mean, that's what was scary about uh, leaving that brand studio, I would say, was because I had expected to be there a lot longer than I was. And I think those are like the scary moments where you're like, shit, I did not prepare for this. So in starting a studio, we, we saved money. We, I don't know, I'm always getting coffees, but had a lot of conversations with other mm. people who had started studios and tried to just figure out what exactly we were getting ourselves into, but... You never really know until you actually take the plunge. Mm. How long before your first paycheck came in? It's always longer than expected. You forget that the larger the company, too, the, the longer it takes to get paid. Well, I know our first client was this dental startup that I had worked with as a freelancer and had done like some writing and voice and tone work for some copywriting stuff. They stopped working with the agency they were working with and they were looking for a new studio. Uh, and I so was like, vo- voice and tone being how... Uh, how a brand presents totally. itself to the outside Yeah, world. brand voice in town, keywords, um, messaging strategy sometimes fits into that. But a lot of like, yeah, what is the voice, which they say is like the personality and the tone is the attitude uh, and kind of writing like a document that allows uh, like anyone to kind of like take the brand and like write as the voice of the brand. Do you think a lot of brands that. get their, their voice wrong? Oh, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. In starting Haref, the the design studio, part of our angle was that uh, people are tired of like brands interrupting their Twitter conversations and saying bay and just like getting like all up in your mentions, <laughs> just like being weird. Um, but that anything could be interactive and like trying to think of like really thoughtful, intentional and approachable ways to do that. Uh, and with a lot of like brand voice in town, like that's always the challenge is like, I remember we worked on uh, a women's gynecological like health chat bot and especially in the healthcare space, like you need to trust this company that you're giving all your data to. And as much as you want to be this cool and hip, friendly, like BFF brand, like you got to tone it back because I don't know, someone might be coming to you with like genital warts or like some <laughs> shit they're super scared about or like any sort of like health concern that you want a little sensitivity there. So figuring out like what's appropriate when it's appropriate. Um, I think there's brands like MailChimp that are amazing and totally nailed every time. And they have like uh, this amazing reservoir of resources online of how they approach brand and technical writing versus in like marketing writing and all the different contexts and how the brand evolves for those different spaces or like flexes. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people doing it wrong, but it's a hard thing to get right. What did you make for the dental startup as your first project? What was our first project? Well, it, turns, it started with, um, I believe, a marketing campaign. They were opening new uh, offices in different cities in Arizona. And so we did kind of this like citywide campaign of bringing smiles to different cities across Arizona. And then they're like, oh, we like it. Uh, by the way, do you want to do like the interiors? Do you want to do more stuff for us online? Do you want to do our social media? And so we ended up doing like Oh my gosh, so much stuff. We did environmental graphics. We did this patterned wallpaper made out of like toothpaste. We photographed tote bags. We did uh, a video that you would see on like the TVs when you first entered the clinic where we just roped all our friends into like eating pizza and popsicles and just like filming them doing things with their mouths and all sorts of uh, stuff that's so funny to look back on, but looked great. It was definitely a little bit more than we were perhaps knew how to do, but we figured it out. Which... That's amazing because I only knew about the uh, the mirror selfies. Oh yeah, the mirror selfies. Yeah, that was part of the campaign. Was uh, the campaign was bringing smiles to the city, and part of it was a series of like we did these reflective posters that had smiles all over them, so you could take a selfie and them and bring a smile to your selfie. But yeah, we did a lot with them. They were so cool, just like a reflective billboard yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with like a printed on huge yeah, smile. Like there. mylar. They're yeah. great. Yeah, really cool. But yeah, as far as when we got paid, it was probably 30 days after we did the work or 45 days, probably like a month and a half or so. Yeah. And how, how long in to the company was it before you got the contract? Well, I'd, so Nikki and I were probably the first, we all left Google at varying times and Pedro was traveling for a year. So he joined us later. So for, the, so for the first year, it was Andrew, Nikki and I, and I think Nikki and I started working on that project and then Andrew left Google. So it was maybe like 30 days in between. But I had been like, we had been waiting for the right time to make that jump. And kind of like once we had just like a full pipeline, we all agreed, I think by the end of the year that we would be full time on the studio, which I don't know. In retrospect, I'm like, there's no rush. Anyone who's like, am I moonlighting, but I'm going to be full time by like Q2, Q3. I'm like, why? Just like, I don't know. If you're looking to start a studio, just do it on nights and weekends, do it like work part-time freelance, just put all the work that you want to be the studio in the studio portfolio and just like take your time with it. So you're not under like all that financial pressure, but 
sometimes it helps to have a deadline. Um, do you get it quite a lot where you'll be doing one thing and then they'll ask for like more and more different things that you don't necessarily do but could do that was yeah for the studio that was true I'd say individually when I work as a freelancer I'm getting better about drawing that line where it's like is it something that I actually want to learn how to do and figure mm. out uh with the studio it was like is this something where we want to hire someone because um, definitely some of the best experiences were ones where we were able to hire our friends and people we believed in and give them an opportunity to do something uh, and that's usually true when I don't know, any sort of like video campaign mm. or a large photo shoot. You're like, okay, we're going to hire a photo team. We're going to rent a photo studio and we're going to, if you have the budget to figure it out. But yeah, a lot of stuff, I mean, if someone believes in you and trusts you and they really like your creative vision that you've applied to the work, sometimes it leads to more work. How'd you make someone believe in you? <laughs> you have to. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was having coffee with a student last week and we finished and she's like, is it? So you're saying, I just need to get someone to believe in me? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's like kind of that. I was like, I mean, we're here, we're having a coffee, so I believe in you. But yeah, the next step is just convincing someone to like take a chance on you mm. and trust you to do this thing. And, and with the studio, and I mean, even in my own work, I find it's really hard to convince someone to let you do something that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where things like, like side projects, which I go back and forth on, but like personal projects, like, uh, we did a project in the studio where we made something every hour for 26 hours and we like live streamed it. That was like our first project as a studio. It was called A to Z. And that led to more live stream projects that led to working with this Los Angeles based fashion brand who wanted to like live stream their launch. And they had seen that we had done that previously and they trusted us to be able to figure out how to do it in a more custom way for them. But yeah, it's hard to convince people to let you do more. Sometimes you meet those just like magic relationships where they're like, I trust you. You can figure this out. That project, I think, is was really, really important, obviously, in your growth. And you did what most people w- wouldn't do, which is just you did a project off your own back. You didn't there wasn't a client involved in that project. Right. Yeah. And so it was 26 briefs in 26 hours. <laughs> and you plucked a letter out from the alphabet and just picked a random word, right? For yeah, each. that was it. Nikki built uh, this generator that would pull words from the dictionary and their definition, and we would make something responding to that word every hour. And then at the end of every hour, too, we would have to leave enough time to like document it, and we'd write our highs and lows, and we'd put it on this website, az.haraf, H-A-W-R-A-F.com. Um, should be up for a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, we would like upload it, and people could just watch us in real time as we'd make something in response. And not only did that lead to more work, yeah. but I guess you guys learned a lot about your process and being able to produce something in one hour as opposed to, because a lot of agencies, I guess on like billable hours, will, sure, sure. they'll spend time, more time than they maybe should <laughs> on a project. Oh, which I, I have to say, we, we did that until the end too. Like, I don't know that we became, as much as we became realistic in that project and understanding what could be accomplished in an hour, I think we were very ambitious early on. We're like, we're going to build websites. We're going to like deploy the websites each hour. Like that, we did one of those and was like, oh, this is way too difficult. Like we're not making websites for every single one of these. Yeah. So I, I'd say we learn more about, I mean, if you want to get into time and understanding the value of your hour through time tracking, which even if you're not billing by the hour, I think it's so important to just like track your time and realize mm. where your time goes over the course of the day. I remember thinking I worked eight hour days and I was like, I work like four to five hour days on a good day. But with that project, we learned a lot just about working together and 
all being on the same team, trying to solve the same problem and figuring out how to come up with good ideas, which even afterwards, we tried to use that process for client work. And I remember we're like, all right, we just need an hour, <laughs> come up yeah. with some good ideas and uh, that's it. And after the hour on one project, I was like, we don't have any good ideas. Like, and I was like, well, I guess we're going to have to like give ourselves a little bit more time and to go away and come back. And I think that was true with that project too. It was like, it, start, it was the start of a lot of good ideas. And a lot of those projects showed up in other ways throughout our practice. But I think what it did a great job of doing, which we did not plan, despite what it may have looked like from the onset, was just like really defining us as a studio that was trying to think critically about the work mm -hmm. that they did. And people who saw that, I mean, similar to like the website we had where you could like doodle on it and play tic-tac-toe with a bot, it was alienating to a lot of potential clients, but it was also very much like a freak flag for certain clients who were like, those are my freaks. I want these people to build my website. I want to work with these people. Yeah, I, I think it like came out with like a strong voice for the type of work we wanted to do more of. And I think that's that's critical. Rather than trying to appeal to everyone, you please no one. I feel like it's better to <laughs> yeah. it's better Just burn to. all the bridges. <laughs> yeah, we're we're making you 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 guys were saying we're making different work. We're embracing imperfections, even the fact that your that your logo has the red under <laughs> underline yeah. underneath yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah. your embracing fuck ups and internet culture. And that was part, I guess that was part of your brand voice. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a big piece of it. And yeah. And sure enough, it attracted certain people to us and it got us a lot of press too, which was a nice side effect of that. But I don't know that we ever got work from the press that we got. I think more often than not, people who were debating whether or not they would work with us would Google us and then be like, okay, they got some fast company articles. I think I can trust these people with my mm -hmm. money to not run off into the hills. Yeah. And the, the press goes towards, I always talk about the inverted pyramid of at the top, you've got awareness and the middle, you've got people like interacting with you. And at the bottom, you've got the actual sale and all of the press that the 26 hours project generated just got people into the top of that funnel. Totally. And some of them are going to filter down to the bottom and equal sales. And I think that's that's the difference between marketing and sales is that just getting that awareness out that you are a, a place that's creating this work is really important. And you may get a client two years from now, but you first popped up on their radar. Maybe they started following totally. you because they saw this, and but they don't actually have a brief for you for, for a while, but they're in the funnel. So I, I always, yeah, I always say half the challenge is just reminding people you exist because again, people are busy. They have mm. a lot of fucking emails. Um, but yeah, we'd run into people at, I used to use like Boomerang and I just have certain emails that like pop back in my inbox every six months and just remind me to check back in on certain relationships or people. And yeah, I, you'd run into people at parties and be like, oh, I just hired a digital agency. I was trying to think who makes cool interactive work and totally forgot about you. And you'd just <laughs> be like, cool, 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 cool. Thanks for that. But yeah, people are busy. It's just constantly, yeah, reminding them, getting that awareness back up. Where do your lost hours go in your eight-hour working day? <laughs> <laughs> emails? I can't count emails. Daydreaming, uh, subway traffic, coffee breaks, bathroom breaks. And how are you um, planning your, what's your time management strategy? I have a very book. I put everything in my calendar. I'm ashamed to admit it, but yeah, if I didn't have my phone, I'd, I don't know where I would go after this. I'm going to therapy after this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, everything from subway rides to travel time, all that stuff. I definitely like overbook my agenda and just like keep track of everything there, including like 
time for like me, like thinking time, working time, like all that stuff. I, I book it out. That's really important. What work are you most proud of? Mm. It's funny to look back on it all, uh, especially we had a very reflective kind of, uh, I guess, like shutdown process in the sense that from the moment we started like talking about shutting down, just being really intentional about how we wrap stuff up. We even did a retro. We like hired a facilitator, this friend of the studio, Julia Kaginsky, who came in and we did like a day long like postmortem on like the course of the studio, reflecting back on like our favorite projects, our least favorite projects, like what we took away from them, which to be honest is that was probably my favorite takeaway of the studio, even though it's like less of a studio project. But the stuff I was most proud of were the things that weren't necessarily client work. It was a lot of like sharing those resources. It was things like the A to Z project. It was, uh, we did this very in-depth article for the Creative Independent about how we work with clients and how we, from like the beginning of like a conversation to landing the project to negotiating to all the things in between and it even includes like email templates it's super useful even sharing that drive folder at the end of like all our working documents like that was the stuff that I was most excited about so um, our business partner was um was going through the the google drive folder of <laughs> after shutting down it's, she's yeah. like I can't believe they're sharing all of this yeah like all either. of this yeah and, she, and then every now and then she'd be like look look what yeah. they're <laughs> But I love that about oh, your about your company. So is scary. but from the beginning, you were always really, really transparent, and you put yeah. everything out as almost like a like an online course of how to. Even though you were learning as you went along, but this is how we're doing it. How the we're blind leading out. the blind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, there is in starting a studio, there was so much we didn't know, and it was so hard to find that information. Even in conversations, I think a lot of people play that stuff pretty close to the vest. And the point, like creative process, like that A to Z project was born out of the idea that all these studios had this creative process, uh, in quotations, and they wouldn't put it online, but it was kind of this like marketable skill set that you could only go to them and get it. And it was behind closed doors and all this yada, 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 which I, I think a larger conversation would be. It just, it damages our industry to make design so inaccessible and yeah. treat it like it's some sort of magic bag of skills that you can only get if you work at one of these elite design studios or if you have this super fancy schmancy design education. And it makes it really hard to advocate and negotiate for the very real tangible value of that skill. But that kind of like ethos is why we wanted to put so much of that stuff online. And even though... It's only one way we try to, there's a lot of like little uh, legal disclaimers that I don't think would ever hold up in court that are in that drive folder. That's like, this is just a way that we figured out and uh, hopefully you can learn something from it, but it's not the only way, let alone the right way. And how but can people find that, that Google Drive? If it's still on the website, if you go to hawraf.com, H-A-W-R-A-F.com, it's like in our little note and... There's a few different articles fluttering around on the internet. If you Google HRF, Google Drive, that will inevitably point you in that direction. I think my favorite document in there is uh, one that I went to great lengths to anonymize all our clients and the projects we did, but it has every single project and how much we got paid for it. Yeah, which is something no one ever, talk, <laughs> no one ever talks about money, right? Ever. I mean, one of the things I talk about a lot is... Uh, 
and I still get angry about it and I shouldn't get angry about it, but I feel like starting out, I had this idea of this bar that was like so high and I was like, oh, the bar is so high. Like, how do I get to that bar? And I'm talking to like other design studio founders. I'm talking to all these other creative practitioners, talking to them about like what we're working on and taking notes and all these like coffees and meetings. And I think it was like a year later, I met back up with one of them and I was like, well, we got the health insurance. We did this. We're making this much. Money. He's like, you guys have health insurance? And I was just like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you don't have health insurance? Like, you, I had put you up on, like, I thought the bar was here. The bar's on the floor. And like, we're somewhere in between. Like, we're doing fine. Um, and that was, I mean, it was a good reminder to me to like, stay in my own lane. And like, you can really only hold yourself up to like your own goals and your own needs. And like, you need to know what those are. You need to know how much money you need to make. You need to know what kind of health insurance you need and how, who you're supporting and kind of like all the responsibilities that come with that. But yeah, I really was, uh, spending too much time kind of like looking in other lanes and seeing like what other people were doing and thinking that we were not measuring up when in fact we were doing a okay. What are your personal goals? Personal goals. I don't know. Right now I'm trying to be more intentional with whatever I do next and I'm not totally sure what that'll be yet. I know that I feel like I am doing my best work when I'm working with other people. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, I really like doing work that serves the greater design community or some sort of community and kind of facilitates connections and uh, the flow of knowledge and getting people into spaces that they previously didn't have access to or making new spaces and inviting people into those spaces. So a lot of work around that, as well as writing and communicating and telling other people's stories, getting them out there. But... Not totally sure. I have like a litmus test. I'm like, is this the right thing? Is this not the right thing? And then I kind of just barrel onward. How far into sync do you go before you stop? (laughs) Into something that's like not the right fit? (laughs) Yeah. Usually no pretty quickly. I find that the decisions I've made, uh, this might get a little hippy dippy, but like things from like a scarcity mindset, like when I've taken jobs because I was afraid there wouldn't be another job Mm -hmm. or because I was like looking at my bank account and I was like, "Uh, I better just take this. And then like something inevitably better comes along and I'm like, fuck, I should have just like chilled out or I should have just like, it's like tapping into like, which is obviously a privileged thing as well, but being like, everything is abundant. If I know that there are more opportunities out there and if I can trust myself to go after them and to get them and put myself in the right situations and contexts where those happen for me, they will come. But every decision I've made, or they might not come and then I'll figure it out. But every decision I've made where I'm like, this is the last job ever, uh, has been the wrong one. (laughs) Or I've gone and I've learned something, but ultimately it was like not the right fit. I've been reading like some Eckhart Tolle recently. And uh, I read The Four Agreements on someone's recommendation like a month or two ago. And it, it, it permeates everything. It's like, oh, when you do view jobs and opportunities as abundant, they are. Mm. I don't know. You can, especially in this city, I have to say, I don't know how London is, but New York, it's really easy to just be like, everything is shit. <laughs> this city is trash. Someone's spilled coffee on me today. London is New York's twin. Yes. Yeah. So, but, so but like for every, like, yeah, for every like little bit of bullshit, there's like something wonderful. And if you count those instead of the other ones, even just the exercise of like, I've been doing like the gratitude exercise where you write down things you're grateful for yeah. in the morning. Like, and stuff like shifts your thinking. And I mean, in my morning coffee before I came here, I was talking to another freelancer and she was just saying like, yeah, when you go into those conversations confident, 
the outcome is inevitably better. Yeah, confidence is so important. But how do you get confidence? By doing something successfully over and over again. again. So it's... Believing in yourself. Oh, yeah. I always tell students, like, I don't know. I think it's, like, such bullshit that any student is expected to know how to do anything, really, other than learn. Mm. Uh, and they should just go into every interview just being like, mm, no, but I can figure it out. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's like all you should be expected to do. It's, I, I, I don't know if this is true in London, but it definitely feels like uh, in New York right now, people are not hiring as much for like junior roles. Right. They're mostly hiring just like seniors. And it's like, you don't get seniors without like bringing on junior designers, even just like designer, like getting people in to the pipeline and like mentoring them and like creating the senior designers you want to see in the world. You guys brought in a million dollar contract <laughs> and decided to shut your company. Let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Yo, that was, oh, that was a conversation. As a student, we did a lot of work with large technology companies and we did a lot of work with like individual artists, worked with some anthropologists. So our clients really ran the gamut, but it was sort of like the large technology companies that allowed us to do the work with the artists and the anthropologists and the individuals and usually the projects we had a lot of fun with. Um, but yeah, so this, we had been doing work with one such large technology company and the work was interesting. We're being hired for our skills. Uh, and eventually we reached a point where they asked us to pitch on this kind of like ongoing retainer and it ended up being this million dollar retainer. And it was, we pitched and we were supposed to have like this follow-up call and Andrew and I get on the call and they're like, well, cool. We're really looking forward to working with you. And we're like, oh shit. <laughs> like we knew that that was a possibility that you yeah. pitch on things and sometimes you win them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't really think it would happen so quickly or so seamlessly or easily. Yeah. I mean, we're like, oh, so we're going to have to like figure this out. And we're like, all right, well, let us talk about it and we'll get back to you. Like, this is awesome. Like, thank you so much. And I, like, well, don't wait too long. Like we have work to do. And we're like, oh, shit, shit, shit. Uh, and it was, it was the beginning of those conversations. And, uh, I think Andrew always, Andrew's been using the metaphor of, uh, all of us in a boat and we starting a business was the boat. We got into the boat. We realized it was full of holes. We start like madly plugging these holes up and I don't know, a year, two years later, we lift our heads up and we're like, which way are we going? Uh, and that was very much, it was like filling up those holes was figuring out like how to run the business how to get clients, how to like, just like keep a steady inflow of work, take vacations, take care of ourselves, like be whole people and all those things. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're, he wants to go that way. I want to go that way. And then we have two other people in the back of the boat who also have different directions that they want to start rowing in. And four people rowing a boat is just a mess unless it's like some sort of like long ass canoe. And yeah. So really, there's not too many like that. So it was like that winning that contract, I think was the realization that that was one direction. And that was a direction I was, I was probably more keen to go in, which was like building out the studio, hiring a team and really kind of like buckling down. Whereas, uh, I can't speak for Andrew, but he definitely has his own creative practice outside the studio that he wanted to explore more. And he is exploring more and experimenting and doing installations in Philadelphia and all over the place, which is super exciting to see. But that was kind of the beginning of those uh, conversations. And so I got the text that said, do you have time to grab coffee? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> it was like the breakup tax. Yeah. So, we need to talk. Yeah. That we need to talk tax. And so, uh, I mean, power to him. I don't know that I ever would have, uh, pulled the rip cord, but he was good enough to be like, Hey, let's talk about this. Um, so going back to your list of when you first started yeah. and you all sat down together, had that veered from that or would you have, 
in retrospect, said to each other, well, where do you see us being in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, starting out, we talked about having a team, building out a studio, like growing to be like 15 people. We talked about never being so big that we couldn't share like two two, like pizza pies and a lot of like those uh, aspirations. But I mean, aspirations change, especially when you're in your 20s, like shit's changing all the time. And I think we hadn't talked as much about how those aspirations were changing. And well, like we knew Andrew had like a show opening like in Brooklyn and had different exhibitions happening or he'd know that I had done like an interview here or maybe I was like a like a press interview or maybe I had like written for this publication and we weren't doing as much as checking in and being about like, so do we still want to run a studio with employees together? There were a lot of like, I mean, inevitably with like four people, there's also just like day-to-day friction. We had an hour every Friday called Feelings Friday where we'd all sit down and talk about our feelings good or bad, which I think was helpful, but we still weren't getting to like those deeper, the stickier questions about like, it's so vulnerable and it's so hard, I think, to say, I want to have two kids and I want to marry my boyfriend and I want like these like very mushy gushy hard things for myself. And I think saying that stuff out loud uh, is difficult. And starting the studio, we talked about the studio stuff, but I think we had a hard time talking about all the other stuff. To answer your question, yes and no. I mean, it veered in certain ways. Like we, I think we still, like that would have been a project where it was uh, good money and and okay work. But were we always being honest? Mm -hmm. Like mostly, we weren't being dishonest, but I think we had a hard time being honest about the things that were probably the most important. And how long ago was that that the company shut down? So the the coffee conversation was November. We're still in like the shutdown. It's... Uh, We made the announcement in February, March, maybe it was in March. Um, We kind of told all our clients before that. So you still have some Let them know. We're still wrapping some stuff up though. I mean, this is the nature of creative work. Uh, We have like a few websites that are launching like ideally in June and kind of just trying to get that stuff out the door. And so we're working really closely with those clients and migrating content and updating all the good stuff that comes with that. But yeah, getting that stuff out the door. We still have the studio space right now. It's April, so until the end of this month. And then mm. and we're all on good terms, so we're all G-chatting each other. That's great. What's the bank password? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just got this notification. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I handle a lot of like the bookkeeping and stuff, so updating that every week, checking back in. But yeah, by the end of May, June, I would say, is we will officially be all strings unattached. So I guess everyone's goals were no longer aligned. Totally. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder how we've kept going so long with our goals aligned. It's interesting to... What are your goals? I wonder if it's just we keep doing new things. Just keep opening new businesses. Yeah. <laughs> our accountant hates us. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, think, every yeah. two years we open a new business. Keeps it fresh and exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think for us too, it was like when we did that retro at the end of the studio, a lot of interesting things came out of that. Like, I don't know, half the team really didn't like client services. That was like their least favorite part of the studio. And I was like, that's what a studio is. Yeah. Client services. Um, whereas like, yeah, just figuring out like, I mean, four people making decisions together is hard too. And working on, I think like for Nikki, he was thinking about like grad school. Pedro really wanted to, he's from Brazil originally and has spent a lot of time traveling the world. Even the first year of the studio, he was doing kind of like a world wind trip around a variety of countries. And he wanted to do more of that. And remote work wasn't super aligned with how we worked in the studio and it made things a little bit more challenging. So 
And it's also balancing like who's putting in the most amount of work and you can become kind of like resentful to you. Gosh, you have to let go of all that. But yeah, I mean, it's so hard not to. It's so hard not to be like checking the clock when someone works in or is what is an hour of my time worth versus an hour of your time is my relationship to this person. Like, I mean, there's so many different ways to slice that, but I think the moment you start thinking like that is that's like the beginning of the end because ultimately you have to be, I think one of those line items on that list was always assume best intentions. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been like a saving grace for me in so many situations. Cause I'm so quick to be like, Oh, it's 1132. Uh, we like to start the day at uh, 1130 and I see, <laughs> uh, but Nikki who comes in at 1130, he might, he stays until like 9 PM and I'm gone at like six. So, I mean, everyone brings something different to the table and everyone works in different ways. I mean, we think a lot about like, uh, I jump between projects very quickly and uh, I can do things in like 15 minute bursts and like zoom in and on something else. Whereas like Nikki and Pedro were people who really needed like in-depth, like maker time, I think is like the term, but it's like, they need like hours to focus on stuff. And if I interrupt them, they have to like refocus and like get back into it again and lose a bunch of time. But I think like learning how that everyone is different and everyone approaches work differently and uh, but being in alignment that everyone is trying their best and assuming the best intentions and communicating frequently and often about uh, anything before it starts to fester in the way that it tends to do is so important. What are you going to do now? You know, I'm not sure. Having a lot of coffees, a lot of conversations, doing some writing. I took a writing class. I'm going to Australia next month for a little bit. Awesome. For some speaking stuff. <laughs> and then Greece in a few months. So doing a little bit of traveling and uh, inevitably something will come along and I will find myself there again. But I mean, I definitely would like to work on another team, be that building a team or on an existing team. But I'll probably do some some freelancing between now and then. That's awesome. It it's awesome that you've got that that kind of confidence and... <laughs> And you're not worried and you're just like, I'm yeah. terrified. I'm terrified at all times. But yeah, no, I feel like I've, I know that, uh, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about that, but like confidence is key. Confidence is so important in those situations. And, uh, so many better opportunities come from an abundance mindset than a scarcity mindset. So trying to, uh, remain abundant. <laughs> uh, so you once said, um, leverage the things you can do to do the things you want to do. I did say that. What does that mean, Carly? Yeah, I feel like everything I've ever done has just been taking things that I have done and kind of mushing them together to try to convince someone to let me do something else. I think that's very similar to like the A to Z project was like a situation where uh, we would show that website in so many decks to like convince people to let us do websites for them or Mm. to do like an interactive experience or some sort of like live streaming experience. But yeah, leveraging the things you can do is like taking the tools you have at your disposal, the things that you know how to do or that the friends you have, the relationships you have and uh, combining those in different arrangements to do what you want to do next. That's so important. It's absolutely well, it's like, advice. yeah, if you have a friend who is a filmmaker, you want to do more films or you want to be doing more websites that have film as a component in them, like convincing that person to like collaborate with you and like make something interesting, trading your skills for their skills, just anything you can do to get to the work that you want to be doing more of. Cause yeah. And don't you, wait for a client to ask no. you for, to just to magically guess that you can do this one thing, like make the thing, make the thing. and then show people that you can make the thing. 
Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I mean, and in that same vein, like don't show work you don't want to do more of. Yeah. I mean, constantly. I remember show for so long I had a portfolio that was just like everything I had ever done. And people would just look at it and they'd be like, you got ceramics here, you got writing. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, writing, I want to do more of like this stuff. And it's like, all right, well then like take the other stuff out. And I'm like, but wait, like what if someone needs me to do ceramics for them? Like mm. they need to know I can do ceramics. Yeah. And it's like, chances are like the uh, Venn diagram of that uh, job that requires both writing and uh, ceramics is not as, it's, it's two separate circles just very far away from each other. <laughs> I know um, Potter's Monthly is, uh, <laughs> is recruiting. That's true, so. that's true. Oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you leverage the things you can do to do the things you want to do. Definitely, and uh, not to keep quoting you at you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but now we're, now we're going to the world of Twitter. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, we touched on this earlier, but the uh, the drama of um, the side project yeah so you said uh, stop telling emotionally drained physically exhausted junior designers that the secret to a creatively fulfilling career is more side projects is not work is work find a job that pays your bills isn't detrimental to your health then go from there yeah I was surprised how that one took off people people jumped on it um, from both sides yeah. gotten some little uh, some juicy little quarrels on Twitter for that <laughs> one but yeah I I think that came out of, as I get a lot of coffees, I get a lot of coffees with students and recent grads, which I love. And one of those conversations I kept having was with uh, people who they maybe they had just grad, they weren't like super psyched in their current job. Maybe they had just taken a job out of school or they're a year or two in and people kept doing, telling them to do side projects. And they were like either in like abusive workspaces or, I mean, we're not talking about just like doldrums job where they're like bored and they don't like what they're doing. These were like environments where you couldn't be creative. I mean, you, they're working like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. They get home, eat like trash dinner, take trash sleep, go to trash work again, repeat cycle. And it was like, there's no energy there to be doing a side mm. project. And uh, the fact that there's like a gazillion blog posts that are just like <laughs> the secret. I was like, if you hate your job, do some side projects, get a new job. And I feel like in that, when you're in a situation where you're in a job that is detrimental to your health, you're not getting enough sleep, you're not eating well, perhaps it's abusive in some regard, you're being like yelled at every day or who knows what, like the answer is just get out, go, go do something else. It doesn't have to be designed, but like go someplace else, like heal yourself and then figure out what you want to do. Because coming up with like a viral Instagram account while you're at a job you fucking hate is just not the solution for anything. But yeah, people felt pretty strongly about that. And I, I don't have anything against side projects in general. Like if you have the creative energy and you want to start drawing something every day or mm -hmm. take a photo of something every day or like do some sort of project that like helps you learn a new skill or uh, helps you think about like another career pivot or do similar to what we were just talking about, like do work that people won't pay you to do. Um, I think that's fantastic. But a lot of people are super drained and tired and I don't know don't have time for like 1400 side projects. I guess I do have side projects, but I'm not like in that spot. But yeah, people, people got angry about that. But a lot of people said thank you as well. Mostly old white men got mad at me. <laughs> and that's usually how I know that I'm doing something right. I'm like, all right, well, yeah. When that side of the aisle is getting mad at me, I'm like, all right, it's, it's, I'm hitting the right notes. Yeah, definitely. We'll say it. Yeah, we'll take that. Um, what's the? What do you think is the main problem that um, the people who are asking you to 
because because I, I feel like a lot of people that come to us are, are simply just asking us for permission yeah, to do whatever totally. it is that totally. they they think that they want to do. Um, what are, what are the kind of common things that are holding back the the people that ask you for coffee? What what are they asking you about when you meet up? Yeah, a lot of it is asking for permission. I think a lot of people. I mean, similar to that other coffee, like they're looking for someone to give them a chance. Um, they're looking for an introduction. They're looking for uh, a place where they can do the work they want to do. They're looking to work in like a supportive environment where they can grow. They're wondering if they should go to grad school. Same all the time. But <laughs> they're wondering. And what do you say to that? Oh, gosh, I mean, I can't answer that stuff for people. Yeah. I can. Uh, I can point people in the right direction. I can introduce them to people that they should talk to. Um, but I think that's something, yeah, you have to answer for yourself. Grad school right after undergraduate school isn't usually the answer. It's nice to go and work and learn some stuff and figure out what you want to be doing more that's of. That's how I feel. I feel like most of the time I'm just telling people it's okay to not know what they want to do. Like it's 110%. Put yourself in a situation like, for the most part, I'm like, work at a small studio or an agency or a place where you're going to be able to do a lot of different things. Go work at a startup. Not all startups, though, because most of them are Ponzi schemes. But work at some <laughs> startups where you feel like you can, like, I don't know, wear a lot of different hats and see what you want to do more of and less of and then go from there. Yeah, find what you like. Find what you like. Try a lot of different things. Go to Creative Mornings. Meet more people. Get more inputs. I think so much of, uh, especially when you graduate from school, all of a sudden you've had this community for however many years, if you're, depending on what school you go to, and then all of a sudden you don't have that community. You don't have that crit culture. You don't have a library with open doors where you can go, I mean, you do if you have a public library, but like you don't have like the same uh, growth mindset that's been surrounding you for the last several years. And it's so hard to find your people again, especially if you've moved cities, perhaps you... A lot of people move to New York and they're like, who are my people? And it, it takes a long time to find your people. Yeah. And so usually I tend to be like the lightning rod on the internet where they, they can usually hit that. <laughs> they're like, you, like you could be my people. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. I can't be everyone's people, but uh, I can point you in a few different directions and kind of, uh, you should go to Korean mornings. You check out AIGA, check out like all these different events that are happening. Oh, you like textiles. You should talk to this other person I know. And from like creative mornings, and a lot of different things. I tend to know various communities and pockets of the design community in New York that I can point someone towards, but it takes a long time. A lot of it is just telling people, I cry sometimes. I have little meltdowns all the time. The internet is such a small facet of, like the things that I choose to put on the internet are just that. They're things I've chosen to put on the yeah. internet and uh, it's okay to not know what you're doing and to feel alone and scared and unsure and uh, just validate that and create space for that conversation and then send them on their way. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can go to carlyairs.com, C-A-R-L-Y-A-Y-R-E-S, uh, and then the same first and last name on Twitter and Instagram and all other corners of the internet. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'll see you there. Thanks so much. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Thanks for coming. This was lovely. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them if you want to hear more then subscribe to us on itunes and if we helped you with anything we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an itunes review it makes a huge difference see ya